Hello, I'm Kevin Barrett of Truth Jihad Radio. If you like what I do, please consider subscribing to my Substack, which is kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you can offer a one-time or recurring gift by way of my PayPal account, which is the same as my email, truthjihad at gmail.com. Welcome back to the second hour of tonight's live broadcast of Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett, broadcasting out of Sadia, Morocco, talking to some interesting folks. Unfortunately, in the first hour, we only had Alan Zabrowski on for 15, 20 minutes before his, maybe a little more than that, but his uh, connection went out. Phil, it was uh, it was good checking in with Mr. Rowe. We'll get Alan back on here, maybe uh, do a Zoom video with him before too long so he can have his full say. I, I didn't get to hear his response when I challenged him, and I hate to have the last word over Alan Zabrowski. Okay, well, somebody else uh, who has spoken too much truth for the institutions uh, is Professor Anthony Hall. He's currently a professor emeritus of globalization studies at the University of Lethbridge in Canada. I do enjoy saying that because certain nefarious forces tried to push him out several years ago, and he is still a professor emeritus today. He is writing great stuff in a substack. Uh, his new article is Thousands of Israeli Jews Responded to the ICJ Ruling on Israeli Genocide by Dancing and Chanting Death to the Arabs. It's a great piece and makes a really good point that the Israeli authorities seem to be completely ignoring the world court's ruling that they are supposed to prevent and, if necessary, punish incitement to genocide. So uh, let's get into it. Hey, welcome, Tony. How are you? Very well, thanks. Good to be here in uh, Morocco and throughout the world. Okay. Well, good to have you back. Hope you can come visit us sometime here in Morocco. That would be nice. Yeah, it's probably a little warmer here than in uh, in Lethbridge, that's for sure. Um, it's so, actually very warm right now, but really? it has been cold, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can you, like, go to the beach and, and strip down your swim trunks and, and, and run out, run along the beach and then swim? No, but you could probably uh, go up into the mountains and ski with short pants. Oh, that's that's pretty warm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I mean, things, uh, things are okay in Morocco. Things are okay in, in Canada, although the prime minister is, is kind of an embarrassment, but things are not going so well in Gaza. Uh, indeed, there's this genocide going on. And, and you just wrote a, a really good piece about that, um, making a point that this, this is probably the most important point about this is it's not just that the Israelis are massacring so many people and destroying the means of sustenance of life but that so many of the Israeli leaders and people are openly uh, supporting genocide, uh, committing this crime of incitement to genocide that the World Court took note of. And so it's, it's really the most documented genocide in human history. You know, people are still arguing about some of the other Holocaust and genocides, but they're not really going to have to argue too much about this one. Uh, the perps are confessing it in, in real time. It's being broadcast in real time. Uh, it's it's kind of extraordinary, isn't it? Yes, in in many ways, and uh, my understanding of it sort of changes by the day. Of course, we've been uh, talking about this obvious genocide for months now, and uh, so it's well established that 
what our eyes are seeing is what is happening. And uh, this is often referred to as the first like real time genocide where we actually see it unfolding. But what was extraordinary about what happened last Sunday was now we've had a ruling from a major international body, the World Court, in fact, saying, yes, uh, it does seem plausible that genocide is taking place. Yes, Israel is going to be in court now for maybe years defending itself from the charge of genocide. But in the meantime, you had these six provisional measures saying that uh, the government uh, should do such and such and this and this to stop the genocide. And it's, uh, you know, talk about chutzpah, talk about thumbing your nose at the authorities of the world. Uh, uh, there on Sunday is this incredible video of uh, a party, a big party taking place uh, with thousands of Israeli people uh, with uh, Ben Gavir, Itamar Ben Gavir, who is the most sort of extreme settler motivated um you know, genocidaire, uh, who just makes no qualms about the idea, his idea, a widespread idea in Israel, that Israel is for Jews, it's not for Arabs, and the, the, the Jews should uh, take things in their hands, which they're doing, and get rid of the Palestinian Arabs. Um, and they have been doing it in the most outlandish, ruthless ways uh, imaginable. But then to see them celebrating with a big map of Gaza, essentially, it seems like it's a big uh, meeting of real estate speculators thinking about what they're going to do with the lands of Gaza now that uh, it's been established that uh, the Palestinians are leaving. And what I'm coming to see is the ICJ decision, the International Court of Justice decision with its 17 judges you know, very impressive uh, atmosphere or a setting as we watch this trial unfold on January 11 and 12. Uh, the court, to the surprise of many, comes up with a ruling, a really positive ruling, positive in my perspective, uh, embracing more or less the full extent of South Africa's very detailed, very elaborate, very well out argument, 84-page argument, uh, which is all over the internet, which you can easily find and read, and it's a tremendously instructive uh, document, laying out the nature of this genocide. The court adopts it, and then we see two days later this celebration. Like a celebration, these people in Israel, the Jewish Israelis, have been found you know, guilty as charged from the South African case, and yet uh, they seem to be seeing it as a, as a victory. And maybe it is a victory as I'm coming to see it. Uh, so you, you saw the pictures, and let's be clear that it seems that, you know, the, the settlers in the West Bank are, you know, sort of the driving force in Israeli politics and the driving force of this, uh, the most extreme Jewish supremacist government in the history of Israel going back to Kahane, uh, Meyer Kahane in the 1970s, and he was assassinated in sometime in the 1980s, he really laid out this 
a completely sort of racist Jewish supremacist position that the country of Israel is exclusively for Jewish people. It's it's a kind of religious movement. Ben Gavir and you know they 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 are religious Jews, and uh, so here they are. Um, you know, celebrating this uh, and uh, looking like it's all uh, green light, it's all go, and I'm I'm beginning to think it is, and we can get into that. I'll I'll I'll, I'll let you respond if you want to respond, or I'll just keep going if you like. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the, the wild uh, celebrations by these extreme you know right wingers do look very unseemly. Uh, in the you know, theater of global public opinion. And that's always been kind of the, you know, the, the ultimate uh, factor supporting this Zionist ongoing slow motion genocide of Palestine that's turning into a fast motion genocide now. Um, but in terms of their ability to get away with actually uh, getting rid of, uh, of the Palestinians, I think there are, what are there, like six and a half, seven million uh, Palestinians uh, both in Israel and in these occupied territories, that's a lot of people to somehow eliminate. And those are people who are not going to leave and trying to do it uh, when, you know, in the face of world public opinion, such as it is with, and then, and then staging these stupid parties, uh, you know, saying these genocidal things are only going to get the world court to further publicize the horror of this genocide it strikes me as kind of a, a counterproductive strategy. The only way they could get away with it, in my opinion, Tony, is by actually dragging the U.S. into a huge war on Iran, a, you know, re- a big regional war where millions and millions of people die. And then under the uh, smokescreen of the war and the fog of war, then they might actually be able to get rid of those uh, 7 million Palestinians. Yeah, and then the 7 million Palestinians are comparable to the 7 million Jewish Israelis, you know, all these people are currently under the control uh, of the government of Israel. And so there's a parity, but the Palestinians are obviously growing demographically, where the uh, Jewish Israelis are probably shrinking in number. Um, so so that's part of what's driving this. But let me cut to the chase here that, uh, you know, I embraced it. Sounds like you're embracing this as a pretty good decision that, uh, you know, it, it means a lot and is, it gives us some confidence that the world system, uh, the international law system might have some heart, might have some applicability because, you know, part of what we've been seeing with the attitude in Israel is a sort of sense of what are you going to do about it? We, we, we've been through this before. We know nobody out there is going to stop us. We're the Jews. We're the chosen people. Not only are we Jews, we're Jews in Israel. And, you know, we have a, a, a special role in the world. And, and uh, so it, 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 it has looked up until now that this, there's this sense that, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're untouchable. Everybody knows we're above the law and we're acting that way. And fuck you for, you know, th- pointing a finger of accusation of us. We're used to that. We don't, we could care less what you, Go I think of us, you know, um, uh, and and now this display. But what did the court really say? What is its real uh, the real um, trajectory of this ruling? 
Well, I'm, I've been following Michelle Chasadowski, who started the website uh, Global Research CA. I'm sure you must have published on it at some point. Everybody's published on it at some point. And, uh, you know, I've been working closely with Professor uh, Chasadowski, who's, you know, well in, into his 70s and um, Professor Emeritus. And, you know, he actually started the uh, Global Research in uh, 2001. And it's kind of a legendary site. I look at it as a, as a kind of academic site. It's activist, uh, but there is, you know, still a sense that it, it's largely people in the academy, uh, writing about their, their pet issues and, and engaging in scholarship and activism simultaneously, which to me is a very good thing and a very sort of high ideal if you can do both, justice to both at the same time. So Professor Chalcedowski is arguing that the ruling itself is rigged. The chair of the court, uh, Joan Donahue, was the legal advisor to Hillary Clinton, and she worked at the State Department. And uh, he sees that she is in a total conflict of interest. She, he believes that, you know, the, there, she's taking orders through one channel or another essentially from the U.S. government. And the U.S. government is deeply involved in this genocide and wants this genocide and is supplying all the arms for this genocide. And yes, the people who live in the United States, you're living in a country that is committing genocide. And, uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, you, you really have no right in the United States to say, oh, look at that bad country, Israel. No, U.S. is equally as guilty, and, and it's being done in the name of the so-called elected government, which many of us think isn't really elected. So uh, it's been rigged. So the way it's written is it is the responsibility of the government of Israel, in other words, of Netanyahu and his cabinet, including Itamar, Gavir, and Smotrich, and, you know, this most radical um, Kahani-esque um, government, that it is their responsibility to identify and stop the genocidaires, those committing genocide. Well, wait a minute. The people who are committing the genocide are Netanyahu and are the government, but they're not out in the field, um, uh, you know, breaking people and shooting weapons at people and in the planes and, uh, you know, they're, they're, back in the legislature. So it's their duty to to find and stop these people committing genocide, implying that it is not the government. It's the IDF, it's the military. And so it's been written up in this peculiar way. And now when I look at these people celebrating on Sunday and Ben Gavir is in the midst of it, it really looks like he, he's celebrating and they're all celebrating and dancing and uh, in, you know, in a very enthusiastic fashion because they know they've won. They, they, it's been written up in a way that makes us feel that there is going to be due process. There's going to be a fairness. But Chasadowski is already saying that the only course available for us is chapter four of the Nuremberg principles or article four of the Nuremberg principles, which says the Israeli, the American, the Canadian, all the people in the battlefield must abandon the battlefield because it's a it's a criminal activity that the orders that these military people are receiving are 
criminal. They're being ordered to do criminal events. So in international law, it makes an opening for them to um, leave the battlefield and and, uh, and and they can make that case in, in, in court or, or, or whatever. Um, so I'm sorry, which court? Uh, well, that's a good question, but, you know, it's written on paper in the Nuremberg Principles. Uh, I guess you could say in front of the World Court or in front of the uh, International Criminal Court. But the point is that Chausadowski is so uh, convinced of the fact that this is a rigged finding, that it isn't what it appears to be, and that now when I look at these people dancing, I think they seem to think and understand they got through. They got through it. And so already the government, Netanyahu and his cabinet, have been declared not to be the genocidaires. It's their duty to impose some kind of force on those committing the genocide. But it's not them that is committing the genocide. Now, I'm, you know, you can read about this in uh, Michelle Chosodowski's latest article, and I could go into a great deal of detail about it. Um, so that's what I'm now attributing this sense of, of glee, of triumph. Uh, it, it's not just simply summing their nose at the goy and saying, we don't care what you think, and we always get away with everything, and we're going to get away with this. They understand. And that this is one, was what happened on Sunday. And I'd like to go into what happened on Saturday. So you had on the Friday a ruling from the court and on Saturday, you had a big uh, rejection by Israel of the finding uh, displayed with a uh, very quick and ruthless attack on the United Nations Refugee and Work Agency, UNRWA, whose uh, bringing of food and products and life-saving materials into Gaza. And this agency has been around, you know, as long as Israel has been around and as long as the UN has been around. They have a long, deep relationship with uh, the people of Gaza or the people of, Ga uh, of Palestine. Gaza, of course, was part of the conquered territory in 1967. Um, but there were displaced Palestinians under UNRWA's auspices before that. And so the position of Israel is that 12 people in uh, this 13,000 UNRWA um, employees, 12 of them did something on October the 7th to indicate they had some kind of relationship with Hamas. And these 13,000 employees in the Gaza area, they're, they're mostly Palestinians, and it doesn't seem to be to be that surprising if some of those were involved in both the United Nations and Hamas, although well, Hamas they were is, Hamas is the fired. government. I mean, of course, they, Hamas is the government of Gaza. I mean, any, you know, and, and yeah. administers all the social services and does everything. I and mean, if you get a letter de delivered in Gaza, you have a dealings with Hamas because Hamas is the postmaster. Hamas is kind of like the municipal government of, uh, of Gaza, except Gaza is a, uh, is an unusual uh, thing, but, but uh, Hamas isn't always bringing in uh, the food for the starving people. And uh, UNWA provides schooling and education. 
UNRWA is a very uh, venerable old agency. And the point is, the day after the ruling, Israel is now declaring we have to get rid of UNRWA. UNRWA is, you know, an obscenity. And so UNRWA, many countries like Canada is one of them, United States is one of them, Britain is one of them, they cut their money off to UNRWA. And there's a, a famine taking place. There's a, you know, plagues taking place. UNRWA is the primary channel for these people who are dying of genocidal imposed processes. UNRWA right now is the, is the, is the lifeline to bring in uh, life-saving food and water and materials and fuel and medical supplies and, and such. So this uh, movement to uh, elicit support for Israel in attacking UNRWA with the 14 countries cutting off aid at this time in this context that could in itself be interpreted as uh, an ins- as a as a genocidal action to cut off food and supplies from starving people that UNRWA is being deprived of the funding to be able to produce this by our by the countries who who want to show that they don't really go along with the ICJ report that they really want to be closely allied with Israel in the genocide. And but, but, but now Tony, Tony, let me involved let me, in the genocide. What? Let, let me quick question your, your earlier interpretation that the uh, the world court decision was somehow inadequate and there and therefore a victory for Israel. But then, as you say correctly, uh, immediately after that decision, which actually on every single substantive point, uh, South Africa won and Israel lost. Uh, immediately after that decision, Israel then felt the need to coordinate this attack on, on UNRWA. So wouldn't well, that wait be... wait a minute, Kevin. Don't, don't put words in my mouth. Let me explain it myself, please. Um, the, the, it obviously was a big loss for Israel. Israel is, in the, in the eyes of the world, dropped many notches. Israel is the baby-killing country. The world opinion towards Israel is, you know, intense. But there are in the West powerful people, people who want to get, you know, good contracts, be upwardly mobile in their work. They know they have to have Zionist approval for whatever they want to do, and they are sticking with Israel. And now Israel is giving them a means to show their alliance with Israel by cutting off funds to UNRWA. And, and, and obviously there is bad news. And, and, but if you're just saying, I just reject the view, like it's a good news for everybody. And we, and, and Professor Chasadowski is off base. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like you, you owe it to read his article. Right. But, and, so uh, to, I just haven't understood. Follow up on this before you dismiss it as. Um, what, what seems to me you're, you're kind of trying to. Well, I'm not dismissing it. I'm, I, I'm just not, I'm not understanding what that argument is because the base, all, what I understand about the world court decision is that essentially, again, South Africa won every single point 
And we would have liked for the world court to be able to somehow impose a ceasefire, but it can't, it can't even, well, obviously it can't enforce anything. Uh, so it couldn't have enforced a ceasefire, but it also doesn't have the legal authority to call for a ceasefire on both sides. Instead, its ruling was uh, essentially an order for an Israeli unilateral ceasefire. That's what that, that order was. Well, when you say a unilateral, an Israeli unilateral ceasefire, like what is Israel? And, and so, you know, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I'm introducing a new element to it, a different element, that when we say Israel has to do these things, well, Israel is a, you know, a many-faceted entity, and the government is a many-faceted entity, and the IDF is a many-faceted entity. So the interpretation I get from Chalcedowski, and I haven't gone into looking at all the, you know, source materials, which which he has, is that in describing the process to stop this genocide, it's in the form of an instruction to the government. And the government must somehow, Netanyahu must impose on uh, all the Israelis doing the genocide to stop it and how to stop it. But the assumption is if you're asking Netanyahu to do this and his cabinet to make these steps to prevent this genocide, the implication is you're saying that the Netanyahu government, the political branch of the government, is not doing the genocide. It's the military that is doing the genocide. It's, um, you know, the incitement is coming from uh, all over the place, including within the government. But uh, Chasadowski's interpretation I don't think I could say it any more clearly than that. Is it unclear to you? I mean, you can well, well, say yeah, what, what, Tony, what, what this is nonsense, Tony. And what, what but, you know, until you read it, um, I think you should. Well, I'm, you again, know, I'm still I'm still trying to understand his argument, and I guess from what you're saying, what his argument would be that he wishes that the world court had, rather than ordering the Israeli government to stop the genocide which is like, for instance, if you went to court with a civil suit to stop somebody from committing systematic ongoing fraud, uh, the court would order that person to stop committing systematic ongoing fraud. And then later there would be enforcement mechanisms that might kick in. But in any case, it sounds like what you're saying is, according to Chasadovsky's argument, that what the world court should have done was rather than ordering Israel to stop the genocide, which is, of course, what South Africa was asking for, because that's all, that I, as I understand it, that, that the world court could possibly do. What, what Chasadovsky apparently must be saying is that the world court should have somehow ordered somebody else to force Israel to stop the genocide. Is that, is that the argument? Well, wait a minute, Kevin. I, uh, you were, use the word in Israel like it's a singular thing. And well, the, really whole es- the whole essence of the argument, and I'm not an expert on this argument. I'm just relating what I listened to carefully and read it through what Chasadowski, who has read the documents, says. And he he uh, frames it so that the problem is the way the court addressed Israel, what you call Israel. Well, Israel is a government. Israel is a military. Israel is a you know, a schooling system. I mean, what his complaint is, is it's it's targeted, it's directed directly at uh, Netanyahu and the executive branch, the top of the government. And that government is told to to take on the responsibility of stopping the genocidaires. In other words, they're not the genocidaires. 
Well, they're sitting in an office, and this is the the problem. You know, they're they're not out there doing it, doing it, and so it it it's uh, I I I see it as a uh, worthy of of checking this out. Well, yeah, I, I will. I'd like to check it out. Do you do you understand what Chostakovsky wishes the World Court had done instead? Uh, well, um, I I understand that they couldn't do a ceasefire, but he uses that phrase. I'm not sure, you know, that that argument about a ceasefire because Hamas is not a government and is not subject to uh, the uh, world court's jurisdiction, that that's the be all and end all that that, you know, but I do understand that argument. And so let's say you can't do a ceasefire because of that. But I'm I'm not totally persuaded of that. Um, well, the court, yeah, the court the case was about was was, was, it's only about genocide, no, Tony. It's not about it's not about a war, not about a ceasefire. The court case was only accusing one side, Israel, of genocide. Yeah, there you go again. One side, Israel. Israel is a side. Israel is a thing. You just say Israel and that explains everything. No, that doesn't explain everything. Israel is a complex entity. And, and uh, you know, what, how many times? I, I, let's move on. Like, you know, it doesn't seem to me that you're. I mean, like if, if the U.S. World Court, if the World Court wrong, convicted, you want to be argumentative, and I no, think, I, I, I just, <laughs> but I mean, if the World Court convicted the United States government in retrospect of genocide or war crimes for dropping the atomic bombs, I mean, what would be wrong with that? Because it it didn't specify the various agencies and military branches. I just well, I totally one of don't the understand. things to take into account here is that uh, this ruling is coming from the State Department. It's coming from a former lawyer of Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton used to be in the Blinken job. Um, Biden is, you know, part of that. So, yes, the United States is equally uh, uh, guilty of genocide. And so the representative of the State Department, who just happens to be the chair of the court, is also protecting the United States of America, um, who is, you know, equally guilty of genocide. So, so, uh, you know, what, what, is it just mere coincidence? Is it not, nothing worthy of checking out that the head of the world court who came up with this ruling is, uh, a former State Department employee, actually proposed for the job by Hillary Clinton, and that this is kind of an inside job with the, uh, American, um, empire of which, you know, Israel is a kind of still in theory a subordinate branch in the Middle East, uh, that this is ultimately about protecting the United States as well. Well, I, I, I have no idea. I, I've been, the, my main sources of information on this have been people like Sam Husseini, and then he had, I guess he had a couple of sources in Francis Boyle. And those people had always, like going back for months, had been pushing for this uh get trying to get some country to go to the icj yeah they they said that the icc was hopelessly oh, yeah. corrupted I've been right there too, uh kevin with craig murray and craig murray, i was yeah, yeah. hearing when it when they happened craig murray as uh uh he is a former ambassador to um uh Uzbekistan. one of the stands uh he writes about julian assange all the time he's a consummate diplomat he was pushing for it. I was talking about it on press TV. It's great that it happened. And I still feel it's great that this, from my point of view, that this uh, uh, international court of justice process happened and we have something to go with. 
But I must admit, I'm shocked at the extent of the sort of Israel lobby, you know, in Canada and United States in France in Germany in Britain, you know, in all the high ranking people in every part of our societies are all, you know, with Israel on this, willing to embrace genocide. We've got something to work with. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm raising, uh, you know, my, this is a new understanding for me in the last, you know, I was ecstatic about it. And, and there's a lot to say, wow, they actually did it. They actually bit the bullet. Um, and then you see, you know, the UNRWA, the attacks on UNRWA, you see the big party about the real estate developers looking at Gaza as some kind of exclusively, uh, you know, Jewish settler place from now on. Um, what about, you know, any, any idea of, uh, talks with the people of, uh, of, of, of Palestine? But I'm also seeing it's kind of inevitable that the people are going to have to leave, that they've destroyed the support system in, in Palestine. And, uh, you know, that the, all the steps have, are, are now in place. Um, that there is no, uh, of, you know, possibility of, of having a decent life. Who's going to rebuild uh, Gaza? Um, and and so this uh, approach of you know and there and and the government of Israel puts it in a sort of we're we're look we're 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 generous we're going to let people you know do voluntary um, uh, you know move move their move themselves voluntarily uh, voluntary voluntary emigration you know no it's not going to be voluntary you've destroyed all the life support systems. All, you know, the farming processes, the food production processes, the housing, the hospitals, the institutions, you've absolutely eliminated the life support systems. And now uh, you're crowing about it. And, uh, you know, I, I just noticed that the people in Israel are acting like they're on to the next stage. They got through. And, you know, now that I look at their responses, I look at it at them with a new eye and say, Ben Kavir and Netanyahu, they understand that they've been given some kind of strange, uh, invisible, difficult to see protection hmm. from the proceedings that are going to, you know, take place over years, I guess. I think it could but be more hysterical. They're, hysteri they're in denial. They're, they're acting okay. hysterically in denial of the fact that their country just got uh, condemned for genocide and their hopes of ever doing what they would like to do are now largely kaput and they're reacting hysterically uh, in denial by dancing crazily. Well, uh, Go ahead. Uh, that, that that's fine with me. That seems like a. Uh, I mean, there's there's way no way that those people it. are going to leave Gaza, Tony. Egypt will not let them. If, if Egypt allowed a mass migration out of Gaza, that would be the end of the Egyptian government. You know that they would fall. They they can't allow that. There's, so where where are these people going to go? There's you know, uh, the United States. Uh, you know Turkey. Uh, you know, I heard saw a list of if you've been reading, uh, uh, you know, Global Research CA, they've they've talked about that they've all it's already been in Congress. They've passed a motion in Congress. The the process is well advanced of finding places and and uh, you know little by little getting people to think. Well, you know, they've had a terrible time. This we we should open up you know some space for them and show them some compassion because. You know, they don't have anywhere to live and they have to, uh, you know, re regroup themselves. But as we know, that once they leave, 
that's it. They're not going to be able to come back. At least. Well, they know that too, and that's why they're not going to leave, Tony. And and well, the Egypt well, okay. won't let them cross you the border. They're not going to leave. I mean, how how are people going to live? If, well, if well, they they're, get, they're going to be a few more tens of thousands that will die, and then yeah. and then Gaza will be rebuilt. Uh, a tiny, tiny fraction of uh, of Gulf oil money can easily rebuild Gaza. Yeah. Well, okay. I hope I hope you're right. That's what I'd like to see happen. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hope so too. But I, I do think that this world court decision has made it far, far less likely that the genocide era can uh, succeed in their plan to empty Palestine of its system. I, th- I think that's the reason that, that we're seeing this push for a wider war in the region, because if there's a, a war in which millions die, the Zionists could actually kill enough Palestinians and possibly cr- create the conditions to, you know, to, to drastically reduce the number of Palestinians in historic Palestine. Uh, but absent such a massive war that would kill mi- many millions in the region, I, uh, I, it's just a non-starter. Egypt won't let more than a handful cross that border. And what else are they going to do? Are they going to build a new international airport and send in endless airlifts <laughs> or something? Or you're going to break the Israeli blockade and send in ships to the... Oh, to- yes. Sisi is uh, really predictable. We can know for sure what's going on with Sisi. You know what uh, Maysoon has to say about Sisi. Um uh, I mean, if it's a matter of opening the gate, you don't even have to open the gate. You can just bring a boat into the beach and, and, uh, and everybody's going to just in. get on it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, the idea that, yeah, I, just thinking of how you would go about, like, there will definitely be people who hang on in Palestine, Gazan people who survived this extermination, who survived this genocide, and we'll live in tents, we'll do whatever they need to do, we'll, you know, use the uh, blasted concrete to make little hobbles and and, and dwellings. And, you know, the, the, uh, that is an, a tremendously powerful feature of this particular population of Palestinians who kind of are the proxies for all the colonized people especially in the, the settler colonies, you know, where they have faced real genocide in places like the United States and Canada and Australia and New Zealand. <clears throat> um, you know, here here is a, a resolute population who are going to hang in one way or other. But there's also going to be lots of people who just say, well, you know, we can't take this. We've got little kids, you know, we, you know, I've got a take care of business, you know, we, um, and there's going to be lots of people uh, anyway, but I'm, I'm assuming that we're not really going to see any, like, uh, we're not going to see a real strong pushback from the ICJ to say, no, you know, if you won't do it, uh, Netanyahu and the executive branch of the government will find another way to see that it happens. Um, and uh, now that, you know, and now you've made yourself all the more guilty of genocide and all the more conspicuous in your complicity and in your incitement and, and everything. Um, let's hope that happens. Well, well they, of course, they can't enforce anything. So the ICJ, all it can do is when, like in a couple of weeks, the month deadline ends and it looks and sees that uh, not only has the government of Israel... Uh, 
feel it fiction it may be like all governments but uh, that that government has not only failed to prevent and prosecute crimes of incitement to genocide and commission of genocide but indeed uh, members of that government have been guilty of both crimes and it issues and they've that been, it, and they continue in, in, to incite it exactly exactly but so so when, they, when the court finds that makes that finding in three weeks which i believe it will what else could it possibly find uh at that point what would presumably the enforcement arm would be through the United Nations. Uh, and Francis Boyle has pointed out that the, uh, of course, the Security Council is a non-starter because of the U.S. veto. However, the General Assembly can suspend Israel from, from participating. It can kick Israel out of the General Assembly. It can set up an international criminal tribunal where uh, Israel, specific Israelis can be prosecuted for war crimes and genocide. It can uh, recommend economic sanctions to UN member states, and it can recommend UN member states sever diplomatic relations with Israel. And, and most importantly, it can admit Palestine, including Gaza, as a full-fledged UN member state. And all of that would those together that would throw a serious kind of uh, a jam into the the gears of the Zionist genocide machine. So this ICJ was never able to enforce anything. It doesn't have an enforcement arm itself, but what it can do is set off these other kinds of processes. And and this all tends to legitimate the resistance to the genocide. Uh, now Yemen can say we are enforcing this ICJ ruling. Uh, and, Leb and Lebanon can say that as well. Indeed, Iran can say that it is mm -hmm. with those who are enforcing the ICJ ruling, and the global south will side with all of those countries. So I think and it is kind of a game changer. It, we can say it ourselves to our own governments and, and uh, say, you know, we're, we're taking the Genocide Convention res responsibly, and we're supposed to do everything we can when we see genocide to make it stop. And so, you know, we, the people of the world and we, the people of the United States and Canada, we there's lots we can do. And when you describe that sequence of events at the United Nations, that would be a different institution. If that was to happen, it would be a remaking of the institution. It would be a uh, and if it was to get anywhere. But let's remember that the you know, nobody at the United Nations has uh, an army at their fingertip to uh, do enforcement. The General Assembly is in the same predicament as the uh, uh, World Court in a way. I mean, they can propose a lot of things, but who's going to go right out on the on the land, on the ground in Gaza and and force it to happen? Um, but, you know, let's, and let's also remember that all through the history of the United Nations, most of the members of the United Nations are people in former colonies. There were 50 countries in 1945 with uh, membership, of, membership in the United Nations. There's now 192. The vast majority of those new members that came in after 1945 are former colonies that were theoretically decolonized and given independent status. And whenever a question comes up about Israel, that uh, population in the General Assembly votes overwhelmingly against Israel and votes overwhelmingly for, you know, severe things to happen to Israel. And uh, uh, and, and the reality is that uh, this has been going on for decades and nothing changes. It The same thing happens. And so, uh, you know, the 
the Jewish Israelis would be looking at this and saying, well, it's just going to be more of the same. Yeah, the General Assembly is going to make lots of huff and puff, and the people of the world are going to make lots and huff, huff and puff. But ultimately, you know, the, the fact that the UN has no enforcement mechanism, this was on purpose, you know, and, and this is where we have to, as, as a humanity, say, well, should the United Nations have enforcement capacities? And right now, the United Nations doesn't look very good. This world court decision gives a little bit of flicker. Well, maybe there's something to work with here. Maybe there's some integrity left somewhere in there. And I'm just reporting my research from the last couple of days, you know, which is sort of revolves around what I, what I'm learning from Chalcedowski, at least what he's, uh, you know, the thesis that he's advancing that I'm looking into. And I hope you will look into and others will look into. It kind of puts a, a bit of a kibosh on, on these big hopes, but I hope Francis Boyle is right. Um, and, uh, and, and it's not just a spectator sport. I think this is something to emphasize to the, you know, the, let's face it in the United States and Canada. I think those people who are against the genocide are still in a minority, like in, in, uh, Alberta here, which is Bible Belt, Christian Zionism has a huge impact. There are tens of millions of Christian Zionists in the United States. There is still the media with its biases and a lot of people just won't believe anything until, you know, mainstream media, whatever that is in, in today's circumstances, authorizes something like, you know, we're, 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 we're going to really make history by doing something to stop genocide and put those who think they can do genocide, put them in their place and change the whole perceptual nature of the world we live in, you know, that we actually do have a rule of law because it doesn't appear for a long time as we have these discussions, you and I and you with many people and I with a few other people, you know, it just doesn't seem that there's anything approaching, resembling a rule of law. And there's certain groups and peoples who are the most criminal branches who are above the law, who never seem to be held accountable to the law. And so this is, you know, what is ultimately at test, uh, at issue here. And uh, I really want to, uh, you know, join the world who would like to see some rule of law, some uh, hope for future generations, that it's not just all people deciding in, you know, the World uh, Health Organization and all these, uh, the Bank of International Settlements and on all these enclave places of secrecy where all the decisions are made. And then we, the people, find out about it you know, all we were going to be, you know, turned into robots or transhumanized or all the things that they're working on. We can't have cash anymore. We're going to have all this kind of, you know, digital communications. Like, where is the legitimacy of any of the stuff that is coming at us from, you know, the WEF, which is just a, an adjunct of, you know, higher authorities. And oftentimes, you know, and then there is this phenomena of, Jewish people and, you know, Zionist power networks uh, extending, you know, far beyond Jewry into uh, powerful people the world over. I mean, it seems to me, can we imagine uh, an outcome, a sane outcome without doing away with Zionism? It seems to me it's Zionism. Uh, and, you know, they soon will say, no, it's not just Zionism, it's the Jews. 
and, and Sobrowski and others would say, would say that, but still Zionism is this very particular thing that comes out of, you know, Rothschilds. Rothschilds in all their banking achievements and getting rich achievements, the creation of Israel was a big part of that. And so, uh, rather than, uh, you know, when we, when we think about the new world we want to create and we don't want to see Ben Gavir and the guys dancing on Sunday, we don't want to see them making all the decisions about what's going to happen in Gaza and what's going to be the new world and what's going to happen in the third temple once they get Al-Aqsa out of the way and they can build this, you know, Sanhedrin center of imperial uh, global rule and from from Jerusalem. If if we're not going to have that, how are we going to avert that? And what are we going to do in its place? That's what I think we have to talk about right now in yeah, the world. I, I agree, Tony. And I, I think that it's the, the, this conflict around Zionism is uh, a, a good example of where, you know, the reason that we need international law here is that Good this really point. isn't, yeah, this is not something that the, you know, Israelis can just win by force majeure because they have their, you know, their Jewish friends in power in the West. You know, the world is changing and the West is losing relative power compared to the rest of the world. And indeed, we may see a third world war, uh, to basically, uh, to, to finish that shift, but we don't want to. And, and again, we have the Israelis backed by the Jewish faction in the West going up against. No, not only the Jewish faction, the Christian Zionists are way more than the number of Jews. I mean, it's. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I see Christian Zionism as, uh, really a, a creation of, uh, of Jewish power. That is the, the, uh, you know, the, the whole history of Christian Zionism, it looks like it was, uh, you know, very much yeah. kind of a cat's paw of Jewish power. Uh, but, but it's the, taken on a life of its own, you know. Right. But, uh, but, but, but see, the, and all that. Right. But th- this isn't, you know, they're not really just going up the palace, uh, going up against the Palestinians. It's true that all of the billions of people around the world and governments indeed that support Palestine, uh, whether overtly or covertly, uh, many of them are kind of, you know, they're not going to stand up in public and scream about what they're doing because it could bring, you know, unwanted attention and negative consequences. But there is a, a tremendous amount of support for Palestine sort of under the radar. I think uh, as long as we have a couple of minutes left, Tony, let me just run this one by you. I think that part of what 9-11 was really about, is, as I see it, the Israelis, you know, we all know the Israelis tricked the U.S. into destroying their enemies. They hijacked the U.S. military to destroy their adversaries in the region. But it's a little more complicated than that because the way they sold it to the American side was they convinced Cheney, you know, to create this so-called Cheney doctrine, which is if there's a 1% chance of, quote-unquote, al-Qaeda getting WMD, we have to uh, act as if it were a done deal, that they had it, they, they were absolutely going to get it. And so 9-11 was sold to the Americans so that they would be able to call, you know, just basically take off the gloves and crush all opposition, to, you know, snoop and, and surveil everybody on earth with no impediments from the rule of law or anything like that. Just take the gloves off because we're afraid that bad guys are going to get WMD. So what's that really about? What that's really about is that Israel is supremely vulnerable to non-return to sender WMD, right? Return to sender WMD, they can deal with that because they've got their Samson option. 
if Iran were to use any uh, anything close Explains to WMD. return to sender WMD. Yeah, yeah. That's non-return to sender WMD is is a WMD strike, and you don't know where it came from. Okay, like like COVID, really. Mm. COVID is a yeah. pretty good example of that. So anyway, Israel is uh, terrified of that. You know, Israel, and they should be because they know about this stuff. They have they're said to have nuclear uh, suitcase bombs planted in capital cities all over the world. So, you know, they, they, they know that it's possible to deliver WMD in such a way that it could become very difficult to determine who was responsible for it. And with biological weapons, that's even more true. So anyway, the, the Israelis uh, are they see that that's their vulnerability, even though they've got all those nukes and so they they use that as their excuse to get the American you know, to throw their their talking point to the americans to get the americans to go along with 9-11 we need 9-11 so we can take the gloves off and prevent this problem from uh you know terrorist groups quote unquote or these these non-return to sender forces getting a hold of wmd and being able to deliver it because that would neutralize israel's nuclear advantage and I, I would argue that unless we get international law and a legal solution to this genocide, uh, there are going to be billions of people on Earth that would really like to see non-return to center WMD pointed at Israel's head and that thereby forcing the Zionists to leave Palestine. And that, that could spin off into all kinds of really bad, uh, events. So I, I think that's ultimately what it, what it's, you know, going to boil down to. You know, you talk, if, if there's no international law, the billions of people who are absolutely disgusted by this genocide and absolutely determined to end Zionism, uh, in part because of it, are going to resort to whatever they have to resort to to make sure that that happens. And, and and as far as the poetry of this moment, I mean, there is Benjamin Netanyahu, who uh, really embodied this uh, Israel-U.S. partnership in 9-11. And, uh, you know, he really was uh, on top of the game of using uh, this threat of Islamic terrorism to achieve all kinds of political um, breakthroughs and such. And there is this same Netanyahu with a burla in, you know, the laboratory of Israel on the COVID matters. And uh, I noticed that Anthony Fauci, when he got a, an award from Israel for his good work on COVID, Anthony Fauci, it was the uh, Holocaust Remembrance Group that gave him that. And so uh, to me, this, uh, you know, is an indicator. And the, the, the Holocaust Remembrance Group what about the Nuremberg Code and the fact that we're, none of us are protected from being guinea pigs in medical experiments now? The the Nuremberg Code, which is, you know, comes out of the, the thing they call the Holocaust and that whole myth, fact, uh, complex, you know, um, uh, centered in Israel. And and now is is there some kind of psyop taking place that now Israel is the bad guy on genocide gang? is going to have trouble playing its old victim role uh, as the primary victims of genocide. And, uh, you know, and now here is this same Netanyahu character showing up in the center of this current event. Like uh, 9-11 is, unless you get what 9-11 is and you can read into, you know, what happened subsequently by properly interpret interpreting what happened on the day itself, I mean, to me, it's kind of treasonous when I hear the likes of, you know, Chris Hedges, who has such good analysis of what's going on in Gaza and such experience with it. But this idea of using 9-11 as a way to poison and toxify 
people in the world against Islamic terrorism and Muslims. I mean, you can't overstate the continuing force of that and the continuing force of, you know, we get used to the idea there really is no rule of law. We can uh, we can stop the rule of law and, and do emergency measures and just empower executives to decide, decide everything, including life and death issues, according, you know, who gets who gets killed uh, with a medical experiment or who who doesn't. So, um, yeah, 9-11 is, uh, you know, we've got to stick to that ground. I think there's still a lot of disagreement about, about people in the 9-11 movement, about what really happened on 9-11. Um, uh, I won't get into that, but yeah, I think you well, know where I'd be headed on, the, on that. On the future show, because I think we're, we're at the end of this show. I, I also have other yeah. things I'd love to talk with you about, too, including the Canadian truckers win in court in Canada. Of course, that may be not. No, that's not really a way to put it, but. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, but but it, no, it's more disgraceful than that. Great. Well, well we should. Yeah, we should. It's the fact that our 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 prime minister is now anti-constitutional criminal. You know. Yeah, he's he's, he's say a lot about him. And we will on future in a shows. Way, and he sits there as if it's nothing. Okay. Well, thanks, Tony. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely have to talk about that again. So keep up the great okay. work, uh, Anthony Hall. <laughs> Take care. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Truth Radio, truthshehead.com, kevinbarrett.substack.com. See you next week. Great.